Hi everybody, I'm Jeff Suckendorf, CEO of UTVs. I don't even know the name of my company anymore, it's changed. <laughs> we did what, that five times. Is the name changed? Yeah, it's UTD Scuba Diving now, not That's Unified Team Diving. Well, it's Unified Team Diving or UTD Scuba or Diving. Or UTD Scuba Diving. you got to have an official name. It's UTD Scuba Diving. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jeff Seckendorf, CEO of UTD Scuba Diving, and I'm here with my co-star, Ben Boss, the training director, training director at UTD Scuba Diving. Ben, how are you? Hey, everyone. Just two of us tonight. So, um, as always, spread around me in San Diego, Ben in Denmark, and we've been getting uh, a flurry of questions once we started the whole idea of Ask Us Anything for a podcast. And um, what we're not getting is a lot of response to our call for a name. We've had some, didn't we? We've had a few. Um, somebody suggested Click and Clack, which unfortunately has been taken because it's such a good name um, from the uh, the Car, Car Talk NPR show here in the U.S. Um, so what I've done is I've actually renamed the show to The Most Obscure Questions in Scuba Diving. Let us know what you think. Because even though some of the questions might not be so obscure, it does sound catchy. Well, we need clickbait for that, of course. But the reason I thought that they were obscure is not because the questions are obscure. It's that every time somebody asks us anything about diving, we always have an answer. And it's rarely the answer that is been put out to students in the mainstream training world. That's true. That's true. We have an answer for everything. Or a reasoning behind it, every uh, the way we do the things, at least. Yes, and never is that reason or answer because that's how we do it, or because that's how we've always done it. Exactly, or that's because it's in the book. Right, the printed book that you can't revise, which is another reason we have online content. Uh, because we, the, the, legacy, the legacy problems associated with printed content um, haunt us to this day, yeah. even though we've printed such a small amount of material. Oh, I mean, on that subject, a lot of big industries or big you know, organizations in our diving industry suffer from that and, and find creative ways around it, um, you know, in, in how to tackle different ascent rates, for example. <laughs> in one case, you can do 10 meter ascent. In the other case, it's 18 meters ascent. So depending on what you use, your body might react differently. I don't know. But... 30 or 60 feet a minute. You decide. But yeah. We've heard all sorts of stories about that one. So this week, we decided to kind of focus a little bit instead of being quite as as random as we were in the previous one. So this is um, obscure scuba diving questions number two. And uh, we're going to focus on weight because there's always, a, always endless discussions about weighting. How much? Where do you put it? Why do you do this? What do you do that with it? Can you ditch it? Can you throw it out? Can you give it to your... What, what's the story on weight? So we're going to stay focused on this. And thank you all for your questions because it really did motivate this, this particular uh, discussion that I'm really looking forward to because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And it does do the new name of the podcast or the potential new name very, very well justice because this is one of these questions that's out there. And it's the answer is usually based on simple, simple math and not so much conjecture of I think this should be like that because usually the question is just do the math and you figure it out. But we'll uh, we'll get into that. All right, so. So what, what's the first point you have on your list, uh, Jeff? So the first point is why carry weight? Okay, that should probably take us an hour. That, that could take <laughs> <laughs> So why do... All right, Ben. So why do we carry weight on a dive? Well, we carry weight. If you, if you think about it, if you're jumping in the swimming pool or in fresh water, just wearing your bathing suit or... Um, or, or, or almost very little, like a rash guard or something. You're neutral in the water as a human body. You might need, depending on body composition, a kilo or two to, to get yourself neutral, but almost all of us, or if you haven't, give it a try next time you're in the swimming pool. Try to exhale and see if you can sink just by exhaling. And most of us can actually sink to the bottom of the pool just by exhaling. So that means when we're swimming, we're neutral. Because we exhale, we sink. 
when we hold our breath, we float. So if we find the midpoint in our, in our lungs, we can actually make ourselves perfectly neutral there. But then what happens? And you mentioned, you mentioned sometimes you need a little bit of weight to help you sink. Yeah. The, the reverse of that is also true, that some people are just naturally negative in the water, high density bodies, lots of muscle mass, low fat. They may actually have trouble floating. And what we're talking about here is when, when, when you're talking about breathing, Ben, you're talking about using your lungs as an inflation tool basically, right? Putting exactly. more air in it's, your body. It's our internal swimming bladder. Yeah, putting more air in your body or taking air out of your body. Exactly. Okay, so let's keep going. Yeah. So, why? So, so when we think about it, when we start to go diving, we usually put on some form of exposure suit, right? So the short answer to this question, why do we need to carry weight, is we need to compensate for the added buoyancy, added positive buoyancy that comes from our exposure suit. And why is there added buoyancy in an exposure suit? Well, that's a good either in in neoprene or in a dry suit, right? Because it's not it's it's neoprene's basically rubber. Rubber would sink, right? Rubber would sink, uh, but the rubber in our in our wetsuit insulates us because of the small, tiny air bubbles that are inside the neoprene. If you cut the neoprene uh, through, you can actually see the small, tiny air bubbles in it. And it's the air bubbles that trap the air and that insulate us. Right. So if you wore a rubber suit, a solid rubber suit, like a made out of a car tire or a bicycle tube or something, you would get no insulating properties whatsoever. Probably not. No. I don't know what the R value is of that, but probably very low or, or close to your body. So it's the air inside the rubber that is this thing called neoprene that does the insulating for you yeah. and slows the transfer of heat. Exactly. Into, in, from your warm body into almost always colder water, right? Yeah. So unless your water is whatever your body temperature is normally. 37 degrees centigrade, yeah. 37 degrees centigrade, you're going to get a heat transfer. And what we're trying to do is stop that heat transfer. Exactly. So as soon as we surround ourselves with a lighter material, and we, we displace more because the, the weight of that suit is not the same as the weight of the water it will displace. And this is what we need to offset by the weights. So the short answer is we need to carry weight to regain our neutral situation in the water uh, whilst wearing our exposure suit. So no, we don't need weight to sink because we can perfectly do that without weights. We just need to come back to that state of neutral buoyancy we were before we put on our suit. So this, the weights are not there that help us sink the the weights are there to help us get neutral and then we can again exhale to sink and that's a you might call it semantics but it's it's a very important nuance to consider that you don't just stay on the surface and add weights until you go down you need to actively exhale in order to go down i don't think it's semantics at all actually because um and just to to go sideways for a second the same exact thing that Ben just talked about in the, the neoprene being an insulating material because it's filled with air, so too is a dry suit. Exactly. The dry suit doesn't have insulating properties until you fill that cavity that's got this fleece or thin insulator or whatever on it with air, again, to slow the transfer of heat from your body to the colder water. So before we talk about how much weight you would need, Let's go back to our our extreme scuba makeover course, because this is really interesting, right? Especially for certified divers who come into this course, who hear about it and, and hear us boast as a training agency that we can reduce your weight by sometimes up to 20 or 25% by just showing you how much you need. And also while we're having this discussion, it's important to remember that in a wetsuit, the buoyancy created by the wetsuit is always a moving target because as you descend those air bubbles in the neoprene get smaller and lose buoyancy so we're going to get to that later but what we do in the extreme scuba makeover course is we start everybody in a bathing suit and a snorkel and a mask eventually and the idea is to do exactly what ben said at the beginning of this talk can you float with a full lung descend 
with an empty lung and hold yourself neutral with some semblance of a half a lung full of air. Exactly. If you can't. And it takes practice. And it's so funny because it's so interesting to see how few divers actually practice that breathing technique without a mask, without a regulator, without anything on their body, just sticking your, your nose in the water and exhaling and, and, and how relaxed they become when they've gone through this tiny little, I, I usually call it brainwashing stage because it's, it's, I mean, for a lot of experienced divers, the mammalian diving reflex is still very active and it's still there. And, and basically what inhale, that means right? is, yeah. yeah, they just hold your breath. I mean, if you've ever seen a small infant, uh, a toddler, placed in like these baby swimming programs as soon as you submerge their face underwater by instinct and this is the mammalian diving reflex they're they, they hold their breasts they close off their airways and open the eyes and as a as a response of our bodies to that our pulse goes down and our stress level goes a little bit down as well funnily enough even though a lot of people feel it's stressful to be underwater it's just our body's reaction to to the fact that we're submerged and say, hey, wait a minute, you can't breathe here, you need to conserve your, your resources. And why I call it brain uh, washing in the beginning be is because we have to teach ourselves or trick our brain or get our brain to trust us in that it's okay to fully exhale because we're going to get air from our regulator. And if we don't get air from our regulator, we get air from our from our team, from our body. And it's that small thing that helps a lot of divers getting rid of the gas in their lungs on the initial descent that helps them get rid of all that weight they're carrying around that's too much so as a tangent we often see if somebody is doing a drill where they're going to take the regulator out of their mouth they take a big breath prior to that mm. and i i see a big sign on their forehead often that says oh my god this is the last breath on earth i better take a large one yeah exactly Exactly. And we talk a lot about keeping the breathing cycle going, regardless of whether there's a, a regulator in your mouth or not. And we're really shifting the way we teach these basic skills, these breathing skills, that breathing continues. You know, if you take a breath, take the regulator out of your mouth, you want to hold your buoyancy, then you just got to breathe out while the regulator's not in your mouth and then keep that cycle going. Exactly. So, okay, so then what we've done in the extreme scuba makeover, the ESM course is starting them with uh, a bathing suit. We're finding out what the composition of the body offset really is. So if you have somebody whose body composition keeps them on the surface and they can't quite sink wrap, you know, perfectly with an empty lung, then we're going to give them a little bit of weight. We'll just put it on a belt. We'll give them a a pound or two or three kilo or two, and we'll we'll figure it out so they can hold their uh, neutral stop at about a meter, meter and a half, four or five feet on this half a breath. And if they're sinking, they'll come up and they'll get more air. And if they're floating, they'll breathe out. And uh, and conversely, if somebody is naturally negative and can't um, float even with a full lung. Then we're going to give them some form of buoyancy. What I like to do is take like a little vest, like a, a, a two or three millimeter hooded vest and add that to them so they have some buoyancy. So we're trying to find out what that offset is. Could be positive, could be negative. We need to do the math. Like I said in the beginning, the whole goal of the program Extreme Scuba Makeover a lot of people think that it's a, it's the buoyancy class, and it is in reality. But it's I think it's more is learning how to breathe properly, uh, and using your breathing for buoyancy control. And then we add some fitting techniques and all that sort of stuff. So if you're if you're listening to this, I mean, and and it, and it sounds interesting, go and take that class. It's it's a, it's usually a one day, couple of hours thing, and you'll be surprised. I mean, we've done. We've done this program thousands, with thousands of times. thousands of people uh, from you know from high level trimix instructors down to very beginning new divers that just want to add something to their initial training, and it's a it's a great tool. Everyone everyone uh, learns something of it. The guy that has tons of experience as an instructor will actually learn something. Maybe he can pro provide to his or her students. Um, 
and the, the guy that or girl that's just starting out with diving really sets it up for for a good base knowledge of how to deal with weights and in your body underwater. My favorite students in ESM are the skeptics. Exactly. I love the skeptics. Yeah. I just love getting these guys in the water and showing them. One of the exercises we do is once you're neutral and you've got a regulator in your mouth, generally from the surface, uh, we put a bunch of weights out on the bottom of the pool. So one, two, three, four kilos, one, two, three, four pounds, whatever it is. And you swim up to the lightest one and you pick it up. And when you pick it up, you have to inhale to offset the weight and see if you can hold your neutral point, put it down, exhale at the same time, move to the next higher weight, two kilos, pick it up, inhale, see if you can hold it neutral, put it down, exhale, and so on and so on. Eventually we get the whole team in a circle and we get weights, we'll take like a one and a two kilo weight, a two and a four pound weight, and we'll pass them around in opposite directions so you'll be holding nothing, and then you'll be holding a, a two-pound, one-kilo weight, and then you'll get rid of that to the guy next to you, and from the other side comes the two-pound, four-kilo weight. <gasps> Take a big breath in, and it's a circle of weight passing that really does such a good job connecting uh, the brain to the idea that your, your buoyancy is only controlled by your breathing. Exactly. It's pretty awesome. So to, to sum up uh, why we carry weight is to offset the um, the positive buoyancy our exposure suit gives us, regardless if it's a dry suit or a wetsuit. So anything else but a thin lycra suit or one of these um, almost fleece type of materials they've made that are neutral in the water but still provide like a one mil neoprene equivalence, they're neutrally buoyant. But, like a shark skin or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. But the um, but the the wetsuits, neoprene or dry suits, give us the positive buoyancy we need to compensate for with the weights. Awesome. So so how much weight do we need? That's the next question, right? How much weight? Yeah. How do we figure that out? And how do we figure out it out in an unbalanced, dynamic, always changing environment of a wetsuit compressing as you descend? Mm. It's mm. super tricky. Right? It is, right? I mean, I can almost hear everyone there crunching away. It's like, hmm. 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 All right. Where do we start? How much How much do you need? Exactly. So let's start back to our ESM class, right? So now the progression is we start you on a snorkel, and then we get you figuring out how to do this with your lungs, and then we give you a surface-supplied regulator to do the same thing. So you can breathe in, go up, breathe down, go down, breathe out, go down, breathe in, go up, breathe out, go down which is awesome. So then we have to start adding the gear that we take with you. And that includes some negative and some positive stuff, right? So we put on, you know, if you're in a backplate and wing, you, have, you might have a flashlight or a canister light. That's a little negative. And then the other gear that you take could be neutral. Fins could be neutral or negative or positive. And then of course, there's the exposure suit that we've been talking about for the past few minutes. So you put on your wetsuit, you go down to the pool, six feet, two meters. There's obviously some compression of the wetsuit, but it gives you a pretty good idea of how much weight you need to actually crack the surface and sink yourself. Exactly. And that's where the math thing comes in, right? So, so when you've gotten used to the breathing and you've gotten used to using a complete range of your lungs, the inhalation and exhalation phase... Then you put on your exposure suit, either wetsuit or dry suit, and you start doing the same thing. And the instructor will usually give you something that is about 80% of what you probably need to offset your suit. And makes you get in the water and do the same thing. And, and initially you'll feel, okay, I'm exhaling, I'm not going anywhere. Then you add some weight and keep adding some weight until you feel that you're back in that same state of neutral buoyancy you were when you were not wearing your suit. And then you just put that weight in front of you and count the weights. Let's say that is 12 kilos, 24 pounds. Now we do the math and say, how much does your equipment weigh while submerged underwater? Now, for, for this example, let's say that that weighs half of it. Let's say your, your tank and your backplate and your eggs and all that sort of stuff weigh about 6 kilos or 12 pounds. Now you know the answer. How much weight do you need? The remaining. Right. 
positive minus negative. Exactly. If you need 24 pounds, 12 kilos to offset your wetsuit, and 12 pounds or 6 kilos comes from your equipment, there you have it. You need 12 pounds or 6 kilos on weight. Uh, as as a lead, as an integrated weight system, as a P weight, uh, I don't care where you put it or what you put it, that's the amount of weight you need. Now, the next thing you'll talk about with your instructor will be also the, the weight of the gas that you obviously can't use. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we do that, before we do that, wetsuit and dry suit are going to be the same in this short range of five or six feet, about two meters. Yes, after that, all bets are off because the dry suit, because you add gas to it on the way down, will maintain that neutral buoyancy all the way down. So if you figure it out in a pool, as long as you're staying fresh water to fresh water and not going to salt, if you figure this out in a pool on a dry suit, mm. you should be in pretty good shape to manage the uh, your descent and your weighting on a complete dive. Exactly. Wetsuit has other issues. But yeah, exactly. The wetsuit compresses. The wetsuit compresses. The whole thing changes. We have to put that someplace. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what's interesting is what you were just about to say was conspicuously absent from your list of positive and negative gear that you take on the dive is the gas. The gas. The weight of the gas. And this is something not a lot of people consider, but it's super important. You cannot include the weight of the gas in your negative weight of your gear and why yeah, it seems so simple why is that well i i don't know about you but i kind of use that gas during the dive i like to use that gas during a dive yeah and what happens at the end of the dive you blew bubbles exactly and you got rid of that weight so you got rid of that gas so you get lighter so in an aluminum 80 that gas weighs about five pounds just under two kilograms yeah around two kilograms it's it's yeah. compressed gas when it's been through a compressor that's removed all the all the the moisture out weighs roughly a kilo per thousand liters in, in cubic feet i mean 40 yeah about 40, 40 cubic feet um, yeah. is about one kilo or uh, that's two pounds roughly yeah and this is scuba math right none of this is it's it's, I mean, it's rough but we'll it's kind of it's, it's, it's semi-accurate i mean uh, up until about 200 bar or 3500 psi it, it, air can be compressed linear uh, if you go above that the, the curve kind of drops so also the weight kind of drops so you can't really calculate with that um but up to 200 bar or 3500 psi it's uh, it's more or less what we can calculate with but what we're trying to achieve with this um whole thing is not so much to give you the exact number of weight you need or not need or dumpable or whatever it is the feeling you get when you're neutrally buoyant and correctly weighted and that feeling is always going to be the same regardless of where you are and what you're diving with because you might find that you need this six pounds or 12 pounds or whatever it ends up being in the swimming pool which is semi-fresh water some swimming pools have salty water. Uh, you might not be wearing your full undergarments. And all the, all these factors play in in how much weight you need. But the feeling of being neutrally buoyant, that's what you have to figure out. And that's what you have to feel for. So that next time you get into the water, you can actually decide if it feels the same way. And if you feel it, you're overweighted or underweighted. And that's the whole thing. So if we take the gas out of the picture in terms of including it in the weight of the gear, either positive or negative, the next question that has come up every time we talk about weighting is when and what do you need to dump weight for? Exactly. Right? I mean, we have heard, not that we actually recommend this, but we have heard in an emergency, you just dump your weights. Take off the belt, leave it on the bottom. I used to think it was cheap. It's kind of expensive. It is kind of expensive, yeah. <laughs> you leave it on the bottom and you go to the surface. So what is wrong with that picture? Uh, well, I mean, it used to be taught, or maybe it still is taught, I don't know, uh, that one, yeah, one option you have when your team is not available or too far away or whatever and you're not that deep, you can ditch your, your weights and just let yourself go to the surface. In reality, when we think about going a step back, what why do we need weights we need weights to offset our 
suits positive buoyancy. Just keep All us right. neutral. It's important. To We're keep trying us to stay That's neutral. It. So then if we can't use the weight of the gas to achieve that neutral buoyancy, that means that if we're correctly weighted in the beginning of the dive, we will actually be overweighted by the weight of the gas. Because if we can't use that weight, we need to add it to our perfectly neutral state. And this is where the wing comes in, but that may be in a topic for another podcast. Uh, why do we carry a BCD? Uh, and what does the acronym BCD stand for? Instead of, it's not buoyancy controlling the wife. That, that much I can tell exactly. you. <laughs> yeah, we know <laughs> <But> that. <laughs> we'll see. So when we, when we look at the weight of the gas, if we can't use it to help us get down in the beginning of the dive, we, we just inflate that extra gas in the wing at the beginning of the dive. Now, when, in what scenario will it be feasible or will it be a smart idea to ditch some weights? And let's talk about, let's stop for a second, because now we're talking about having about five or six pounds, two kilos of gas in a single aluminum 80. That's the offset that we're trying to create with the BCD. Yeah. Right. So we're not trying to put a ton of gas in there. We're only trying to add to the BCD the exact weight of the gas. So if you're in a single tank and you've got a, a BC that is holds, I don't know, 30 pounds of lift, mm. you know, 15 kilos, it should be empty plus the weight of the gas. Exactly. Just add the weight of the gas in a neutral, neutral state. So that's going to have just a just a little tiny. Psh, yeah. It's not very much. It's like a sixth of your thirty pound, exactly uh, fifteen liter wing. If you're just going to offset the weight of the gas. So so when you think about it, the only scenario in will in which you would actually ditch weight is when you lose the capability of your wing or BC of holding gas. So if that ruptures or breaks or you pull the hose off or whatever and it, it doesn't hold any gas anymore you're actually the two kilos or gas weight if you correctly weighted, it overweight and then if you have ditchable weights that that makes up for the same amount of gas you're carrying in your tanks at the beginning of the dive you can get back in a neutral state of buoyancy by ditching the weight of the gas and and this is where probably a lot of you think aha wait a minute that I've never heard about but think about it stepping back to the beginning we're neutral in our bathing suit we're positive in our suit then we get back to being neutral when we do the math and now we add weights then we're back to being negative all right now when the wing fails I'm negative by the weight of the gas and if I can then ditch the weight of the gas by I don't know having a pouch on the side or a weight belt that's you know, well distributed, then I can get back to being neutrally buoyant and just exit my dive in a comfortable scenario. And the key to this whole thing is that you can hold the shallow stops. That's what, what we're looking for. Exactly. Coming back to that, answering the question uh, that ditching the weight is a solution when you're out of gas, it, it just it makes no sense. I mean, it, it, it's based on this panicky feeling that you need to get to the surface and obviously the surface holds a lot of air and you can breathe it but i think it's um personally i think it's a wrong way of pointing your mind at that by ditching the weight and shooting up to the surface you can solve a situation i think the situation or the the, the solutions we we have for our problems that might exist underwater need to be able to be found underwater by your team so i always say to my students don't go finding eight different ways of solving an out of gas situation just find one and practice it eight times instead of having eight ones that you practice once because <laughs> trust me just take one pick one stick with it train it and use it because that's the one that works um i've heard uh, an interview on a, on a on a television show once with bruce lee this martial arts uh, dude yeah everybody knows bruce lee i guess everyone, everyone knows bruce lee right it's like coca-cola everyone knows bruce lee and he said i'm not afraid of my opponent that knows a thousand kicks and practice them once i'm afraid of my opponent that has that knows one kick and practiced it a thousand times 
And that's kind of kind of funny because it really links back to this whole thing of training for emergency scenarios in a simple and uh, controlled manner that's just consistent all the way through that makes for a much stronger foundation. So the way we carry links to the fact that we indeed need to deal with emergencies underwater, but don't go on thinking that shooting yourself up to the surface solves anything in a good manner. You might get to solve one problem, but you might create two or three more. So let's just talk about wetsuits for one moment again. So imagine you're in a seven millimeter wetsuit and you're deep, you're at a hundred feet, 30 meters, 30 meters, and you have seen the results of pressure on that wetsuit as you descend. And the wetsuit starts to compress. The little tiny air bubbles in the neoprene start to compress. It never feels like it's one-to-one, like the same way we have regular gas compression. So, you know, at four atmospheres, I don't know if it's a quarter of the weight or what it is, or eighth or 16th. Mm. But the point is, we lose buoyancy in that wetsuit. That buoyancy returns on ascent. And if you're set up neutral at 10 feet, three meters, you could very well be in a seven millimeter wetsuit, 12 or 15, four or five kilos overweighted at 30 meters, 100 feet. For sure. So if you dump that weight so you can get to the surface quickly, that's fine. You start to go up slowly and then your wetsuit turns into a balloon. And expands and expands and expands and expands. And as you start to get to these shallow stops, you know, 30 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet, you know, 963 meters. You're going to wish you didn't you didn't dump that weight. You're going to want that weight back and you're not going to be able to access it anymore because it's going to be almost impossible for your lungs to offset this giant gap you have between what's positive and negative exactly. when you're back at this 20 foot 15 10 foot stop that you're where you're trying to do your shallow stop so if you just did a half an hour at 30 meters 100 feet and you go straight to the surface it's probably not the best thing for your body no but if you can't stop then you've got other issues with your health and the potential for various decompression uh, problems so that's what we're looking at when we start to talk about ditching the weight beyond the weight of the gas is that it eliminates your ability to hold your shallow stops when your wetsuit expands. Regains its buoyancy, yeah. Regains its buoyancy, exactly, on the way up. Dry suit, not so much. It's almost like secondary buoyancy because you can actually hold that on the way up, on the way up, on the way up. Exactly. So, and... and at least we i don't think it's it's feasible to take a syringe with you and start injecting your neoprene wetsuit with air <laughs> on your way down no i don't no, think that it's, works it's called a dry suit yeah so in on a wetsuit alone it's the wetsuit's compression that puts you in this negative state that's a bad thing and this is what we call an unbalanced rig so um, we've done some videos on our youtube channel also regarding this but it basically means be careful diving a thick wetsuit too deep in too deep a water. So it's super easy. Think about it. When you need a thick wetsuit, the water is cold. When you take that thick wetsuit down deep, it's going to compress and it's going to not insulate you very well and you're going to be cold. So guess what? You need a dry suit. <laughs> exactly. And we've, we, we did a whole, I think we did a whole podcast on this, right? Going from three millimeter to dry suit and skipping five and seven. Oh, yeah. That was, I think, in the other, the first episode of... The most obscure questions in scuba diving. So you can go grab that and take a listen. So, all right, let's move on from this because I think we beat this up pretty well and I want to come back to it when we start talking about shallow stops. But here's another question that came in. If you're wearing a backplate system that has a crotch strap, this person asks, should the weight belt be over or under the crotch strap? Very, very good question. Obscure. Hmm. But common. I mean, we get this all the time. Do you put the weight belt on and then capture that weight belt by the crotch strap so it makes it almost impossible to ditch? Hmm. Or do you put it on last so if you do want to ditch it, you can get rid of it? If it's under the crotch strap, you tend not to lose it if it comes apart. If it's over the crotch strap, you could say goodbye to that by accident. It's one thing, right? Well, my thought is 
it depends on what si what your complete system setup is. So if you're diving in the situation like described before, you're diving a, a balanced rig, meaning you've, uh, you've, you've thought about your wetsuit that is not too thick in regards to the depth you're diving at. So let's say that's correct. Let's say you're diving in a, I don't know, three mil wetsuit and you're doing a Red Sea dive on a reef to about 15 meters or 12 meters. What's that in, in, in feet? 40 feet. Um, 20 feet, 25 feet. 12 meters, uh, 40 feet. No, a little bit more. Yeah, something like that. 21, 25 feet, something like that. You, you'll get it. You eventually will get you imperial. So when you think about your you're correctly set up and you want and you have actually distributed your weight so that you can carry ditchable weight that matches the weight of the gas and that happens to be on your weight belt that's your ditchable system and that let's say you're diving a single tank and that's about two three kilos and you have a weight belt that's two or three kilos yes by all means put that weight belt on the outside um, so you can easily ditch it on the other hand there are other systems out there that might be preferable when you talk about ditchable weight. You can get these pockets that go on your harness or uh, other systems out there that allow you to ditch your weight. In general, I find it a hassle to put the weight belt on the outside of the, of the harness because think about the waist strap of the harness ties into your back plate right at the same spot that the weight belt should be. So when you take the weight belt and put it on the outside of your harness, you usually find that the weight belt sits on the, the lower part of your back or the top part of your buttocks and has a tendency to slide down. So on the other hand, putting your weight belt on first, you might be able to get it underneath your back plate. And if you distribute the weight blocks properly, then the weight blocks will sit on your sides and your back plate will not push them into your lower back. So I would always suggest put your weight belt on first and then put your wing or back plate on with your crotch strap over it and figure out to put ditchable weight somewhere else uh, so you don't have to deal with that weight belt. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. And, you know, so one of the things that happens to me as a diver is I never seem to be in the same water twice in a row ever. So I'm in a pool in a three millimeter suit, or I'm in a pool in a four millimeter suit, or I'm in a dry suit in warm water where I'm wearing light undergarments, or I'm, you know, we dove this weekend and it wasn't that cold. It was about 60, which is what's that about, you know, 10 or 12, something like that. And yeah, yeah, 12. 12, but it was an hour and a half dive. So you know, I have a lot of undergarments on for a dive that actually normal dive, 40 minute dive in that water I wouldn't need. Everything's always different. Mm. And I want as little junk on my body as possible. So I don't actually ever take a belt. Um, I never take a belt. I have this Z system from the old UTD system, and it's got four pockets on it two right around my kidneys and another two on the shoulder straps. And I can distribute that weight wherever I need it. And the shoulder pockets are very, very easy to access. I can just reach back, open the pocket, pull weight out of there if I need to. And I'm never going to ditch more than the weight of the gas. So even if I have double 80s, right? The most I'm ever, ever going to ditch if the wing fails right at the beginning of the dive mm. is going to be two, five or six pound, you know, two kilo weights. And I'm just going to pull those out of the top pockets because if I'm carrying that much gas, I'm probably going to have weight on the top and I can reach it and goodbye weight and the whole thing's super, super easy. And that's it. That is if you're driving a wetsuit on top of that. Because if you're driving in a dry suit, you'd, you'd never come in the situation where you need to ditch the gas just, or ditch no, the weight. You just put more gas in the dry suit. Exactly. That's why we use a dry suit as a, a backup redundant buoyancy uh, compensator so that that covers that where to put the belt the weight belt i would say go always under the crotch strap and make sure the weight belt is not too heavy uh, and if you're diving in a wetsuit make sure you get the ditchable weights from somewhere else or on the belt i mean you could if you're weaving in hard weights you could put two pockets on the belt because again you're always going to want to change your weights you know and i for years i would write down the temperature of the water 
the exposure suit I was wearing and how much weight I had and where it was distributed. Because, you know, I mean, like I said earlier, I'm in like 10 different situations all the time. You know, we're going to the East Coast to dive in a couple of weeks um, to do some training. We're going to be in a pool. We're going to be in a quarry shallow where it's warm. We're going to be in a quarry deep where it's cold. All these different scenarios have different exposure systems. And all those different exposure systems require different amounts of weight. However, the amount of gas I need to ditch never changes. In singles, it's six pounds, three kilos. Mm. In doubles, it's 12 pounds, six kilos. Exactly. That never, ever changes. And here's another little tidbit. If you're carrying, somebody asked me this once and it was a brilliant question. Does that amount of ditchable weight change if you're carrying deco bottles? Mm, very good question. Very good question. And the answer is no, it doesn't. Never becomes more than six kilos, 12 pounds with doubles. And why is that? Unless you hard bolt that Deco bottle to you, it's kind of hard. Mm, it's not my answer. Isn't it? No. My answer is that if I'm carrying a Deco bottle, there's a 99% chance that my back gas tanks, either side or back, do not have air or nitrox in them. They have Trimix. Mm, true. Trimix has helium in it. Helium is lighter than oxygen and nitrogen. Exactly. So even if I have two 80s of back gas and a deco bottle or two deco bottles that are dense, right? Nitrox 50 and oxygen, they're all going to add up to be about the same thing or less because the trimix that's in the main tanks are is lighter than the air that would normally be in it. So if I have no deco gas, I probably have air or nitrox. If I have deco gas, I probably have trimix, which is lighter than air or nitrox and puts that whole weight system kind of in the same range. That's my answer. Is that obscure? No, that's, uh, well, that's an answer I don't <laughs> think a lot of people think about, but it's a very realistic scenario. And it's also funny because when we do side mount diving with trimix blends with people that are new to trimix diving, by habit, they put the weight or they put the tanks on the top clip and they get in the water and in five minutes, the tanks are floating up like bunny ears behind them. And they're like, hey, that usually happens only when I'm at 140 bar or, you know, 2000 PSI or whatever. Yeah. And, and then they realize, wait a minute, dog, the weight of the gas is now much, much less. Yeah. And that retails also that the weight of the deco bottles are now the weight of the gas you'd normally have in your back gas. Exactly. And when you take that even further uh, to more complex deco dives, you'd probably add some trimix in your deco gases as well. Uh, I mean, when we do cave dives uh, and we have to transport uh, a nitrox 50 bottle, uh, a long way into a cave or a mine or whatever, we'd usually mix a little bit of Trimix in there to offset, offset that negative gas weight to make the Nitrox 50 bottle a lot more manageable in that scenario. So you can play around with these things and it um, it all it all boils down to we don't, we're lazy bastards, right? We don't want to carry all that weight. <laughs> That's about, that it boils down yeah. to. Yeah, so the bottom line I think is you know, you're rarely going to have to have more than six pounds, three kilos of ditchable weight in singles, and you're rarely going to have to have more than uh, six kilos, 12 pounds in any other possible configuration. So it's not a ton of weight. Exactly. I think that's that's what nope. we're saying. So, all right, we got a couple more of these questions that are that are kind of interesting. So. The next one is, we talked about what weight system to use, right? We don't care as long as you can get rid of the weight of the gas. My preference is never to have a belt. At least at least not a heavy belt. The reason I like the system that I'm using now is because I can distribute weight wherever I want it, right? Basically at the level where a belt would be in the kidney pockets or up on my shoulders where I tend to need it in a, a dry suit where I want negative fins because I want to add the weight to that. So that's part of my gear. I'm hopefully not going to lose those. So that's part of the negative part of my gear. And if I had neutral fins in a dry suit, then I'm going to have to take that difference and I'm going to still have to put it somewhere. So neutral or negative fins, that was one question. Again, I think it's all part of your weighting system and the weight distribution. Yeah, and a body composition as well. I mean, usually as a, as a, as a rule of thumb, we use the negative rubber compound fins when we're diving in a dry suit. Um, and we use the neutral fins when we're diving in a thin wetsuit because they're the rubber fins all the way at your feet uh, are usually too heavy and tend to, 
you know, put you in a situation where you got to keep actively, you know, making figures of eight to keep your feet up from sinking. Um, but I've, uh, I know uh, some divers that dive neutral fins in a dry suit and it's perfectly fine for them. So should try. I mean, there's no, you know, strict rule for anything as long as, you know, it works for you, use it. And the same thing goes with the, with the gaiters, um, gaiters or no gaiters. And gaiters are just these pieces of basically cloth that Velcro to your calf yeah. to keep the suit from over-compressing around your legs. Over-expanding around your legs, you mean? Over-expanding, yeah. Yeah. So it's usually it's found that smaller people with a dry suit, uh, there's just a limit to how tight the manufacturers can make the legs on the dry suit and only very high-end manufacturers actually taper the boot where it goes on to the leg um, to match the the diameter of your uh, calf. So the smallest uh, boot you... may still make the leg too big. Exactly. The, the, the part where your feet goes through uh, above your ankle on the boot is usually the same diameter, uh, but then the shoe size of the boot changes. Uh, and only the higher end, like I said, the higher end manufacturers, they actually take that into account, either uh, modify the boot so it becomes smaller or, you know, do something else. But sometimes it's just too big and it makes the leg part too big for smaller people. I've had dry suits as well where, uh, and I'm not very tall, I'm I'm 1 meter 73, uh, how much is that? 5'10-ish, 5'10". 5'10". And, and sometimes it's too big and, and a gator keeps that extra air pocket manageable. Um, so if it works, it works. Yeah, I've never used them. I used fin keepers for a little while in a dry suit that had very, very light, light boots. Yeah. And and that seemed to help, I guess, a little bit. But then, you know, when I didn't have it with me one day, maybe I, I kind of didn't notice the difference. So I think a lot of it is kind of mental too. It's, it's like, a lot of habit thing as well, yeah. We've always said never let your gear dive you that you dive your gear. And so, you know, you, you manage the distribution of the weights north, south on your body. Uh, you manage how the air is moving around the dry suit. You manage all this stuff. And then you dive it. And diving is not a static, you know, you're not in some free fall position and you don't move. The water's moving, the air is moving, everything's moving. So you're always adjusting, always making these small changes. And dive your gear. Exactly. And don't be afraid to experiment. I mean, if you, like, like you mentioned before, Jeff, you, you, you change your configuration and you change the weight. A lot of divers I know, they, change, they don't change anything regardless. They have the same configuration, same weight belt if they're diving fresh or salty or brackish or anything else. And it just makes for a hassle. It, it looks like it's an easy fix because I don't have to change anything. But in reality, you're just setting yourself up for a whole bunch of nightmares because either you're too heavy or you're perfect and then you're too light. And it's just try and play around with it and see how easy it is for you to, to change systems around. And if you do dive in a couple of different scenarios regularly, you know, invest in something that makes it easier for you to switch around between these things. I think I like to add to the net neutral or negative fins or gaiters or no gaiters uh, a much discussed topic as well, and that's ankle weights. Oh, that's that. That's probably the most polarizing um, thing to talk about for the cheapest piece of gear there is. Oh my God, it's a Pandora's box. You know that that relationship between is it polarizing and is it expensive? Ankle weights polarizing and cheap. Exactly. So, all right, go for it. Why why do why do you like or not like ankle weights? I don't. I don't dislike angle weights. I just I just don't think they're the solution 99% of the time. The weight of an angle weight, the even the lightest ones I can find are half a kilo each. One pound. One pound, yeah. So that means you're putting a kilo all the way at the furthest point south of your body. And that's usually too much. It's usually too much to offset that and it, it it just gives you other problems. If you're finning around, you're you're moving weight away from the furthest away from your body, basically. So take a one kilo in your hand and extend your arm out to the furthest and try to move it from side to side. And now do the same thing with your other hand that's not carrying the weight. See how much extra weight 
how much extra hassle that is for you to move that and you can do it in the water as well it makes it makes a lot of difference so usually the ankle weights are too heavy for what they are uh, and they're the 500 grams ones the pound ones is very rare to find it's usually homemade um, I would suggest go with rubber fins and they do the trick so what's the difference Ben between the heavy rubber fins and no ankle weights or if all you happen to have are plastic fins that are neutral or light and you add ankle weights what's the difference well exactly the difference is the 300 grams because there's about 200 grams difference in the water between the heavy rubber fins and the plastic fins or the neutrally buoyant rubber fins so going away from from that and making it 500 kilos or 500 grams is is just too big of a shift and it's usually at the f- the furthest away from the center point of gravity of your body the more nuanced those changes have to be because the harder they will be to control i mean usually it's a, a very black and white ankle weights don't do it and it's usually that where we end up but I've dived with some handicapped divers uh, that are paraplegic, for example, that have no movement in their legs. To stop their legs from floating up, we've put ankle weights on them to keep them down and be more manageable for them. But that's a you know scenario where they can't use weights. I know a diver in my local area who has one wooden leg and one functioning leg. And he does a similar thing where he uses some weights here and there to offset for that you know difference in weight. So there are situations where it need, needs to be used, but in general, ankle weights are too heavy and give you uh, more hassle than they'd solve. A combination of the right fins and finning techniques is usually the key. And technique is the key. Finning technique, diving technique, dive the gear, don't let the gear dive you. So we have one more question here, and we've answered it a lot, but I think we can just get down to it now. It's what weight system do we use? So I want to know what you use. I've sort of talked about what I have, but what do you use for weighting systems? Well, if I do, if I dive a sideman system, there are small pouches with soft weights in there, and I always dive a dry suit. I mean, unless I'm diving in water that's over thirty degrees centigrade. What's that? Ninety. Ninety. Yeah. I'm in a dry suit, and it's just because I like it. It's just because I feel more comfortable in a dry suit. I hang in it. I feel much more at ease. It's like being in a hammock instead of laying on a beach ball for my for my taste. So I feel it's it's more comfortable for me. So I use pouches on a, on a system. If I dive a single tank, I have a combination. Uh, there's two pouches on my tank straps, uh, my, my, my tank bands that carry about two kilos each uh, on a steel tank with a steel back plate. And then in the wintertime when I have more uh, undergarments on my dry suit, I add a four kilo, um, what's that, eight pound weight belt to that. Um, in my twin set and a rebreather, I just use a, a V weight. It's actually called a tail weight because it's all the way down at the lowest part of the back plate with two kilos in it. Um, so it's it's a it's a different system uh, almost for each. And rebreathers are going to always be different because of where the yeah. counter lungs are, what the con- the container looks like, where the where the um, the soft line, the absorbent, the, yeah. the sorb is placed. There's so many variables inside that that it's really hard to compare um, how you place the weights on a rebreather system to how you place them on open circuit. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a good topic for for another whole podcast. I think weights on a rebreather because. Uh, I think a lot of rebreather divers dive with too much weight because the, the 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 whole concept of maintaining the lung volume of the rebreather is is kind of foreign and they just kind of offset more weight than they kind of need to. I think almost everybody in the water dives with more weight than they need. Almost. Almost. Yeah. Almost. Right? I mean, I was in this weekend and it was not that cold. I had normal undergarments and you know, I just, I missed by like one kilo, two pounds. I could tell it was, you know, just in that I could tell at the end of the dive, I was squeezing a little bit too much gas out of my dry suit. And I thought, eh, you know, I probably, this undergarment, this age, and you know, it's all dynamic, right? These, some of these undergarments I've had forever and they're fleece and they, yeah, they used to be thicker. Yeah. They used to be thicker, right? And now they're 
they're not. And I keep seeing things change. And But um, yeah, so now I think I'm just going to add about one kilo to that same exact system and uh, and probably a little more undergarment after what we did this weekend because these are the hour and a half's a long dive um to just kind of not do anything <laughs> when you're freezing awesome well that i hope was interesting it was fascinating to me it's a topic i love to talk about i love the way we invented uh, the extreme scuba makeover course you know i love that we talk about all this kind of stuff about the nuances of weight, which ostensibly in an open water class, you can learn this in three minutes, right? Okay, we're going to throw you in the water. What's the deal? Hold your breath, carry the weight, eyes float, whatever that craziness is that doesn't involve actual testing. The instructor gives you a bunch of weight, you put it on, you go down, you're too heavy, you're kneeling on the bottom, blah, blah, blah. We don't want to do that. We want this to be accurate. So at the end of the dive, the BC is empty at your shallowest stop, the dry suit is comfortable, or the wetsuit is fully expanded. That's our goal on all of these things that we do in relation to waiting. That's what we're looking for. Exactly. And and the, the skeptics out there that are listening, uh, especially if you are an instructor, you're probably going to think, yeah, right, at this sentence. But a lot of our open water students, after the second or even after the first session in the pool, they can feel a half a kilo or a pound too much or too little. They, they know that feeling. And if you're there thinking, ah, come on, these guys are so full of it. <laughs> well, sign up for one of yeah. our IDCs and you'll be amazed. I mean... Or call us. Just call us. Or right? give us a call. We're I mean, so accessible. Put us to the test. I mean, and, and put it out there. Trust me. You'll be amazed how much, how easy it is to learn these things when you just go it, go about it from the right end. Um, a lot of instructors choose to um, put the skills before the buoyancy control and then leave the buoyancy control towards the end of a, of a class. Um, we changed it around. We just, we're starting uh, you know, with the buoyancy and the, the control of your body and then add the skills on top of that. Yeah, buoyancy should not be a specialty. No, exactly. Buoyancy should be a given. Yeah, A given. So uh, if you have questions, Jeff at utdscubadiving.com, Ben at utdscubadiving.com. If you want to send an email that hits us both at the same time, info at utdscubadiving.com. If you have questions about the Extreme Scuba Makeover course, how we teach this stuff, why we're spending, you know, an hour talking about a weight belt, um, then take a class and you can see what it's like when we spend two hours talking about a weight belt. Because exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just keeps on going. And it's the interesting part of diving to me, the sort of the engineering, science-y, nerdy part of it that I like so much. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it really puts you back into um, a state of control and, 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 it, and, and it gives a lot of joy back. And, and it's so fun to see the reactions of these people that come through these programs, even if it's an open war class, because that's an integral part of, of the ESM program. And the ESM program is basically the, the very first start of a, an open war class. And I remember to, to close off, I remember very fondly uh, an IDC candidate I had who as part of his IDC was going to help me teach an ESM. And he was, he was nervous because one of the students on the ESM was a trimix instructor with thousands of dives, but he signed up for the ESM because he, you know, he wanted to learn what this is about. And, and I have the greatest respects for divers like that, that have tons of training and tons of experience and tons of teaching credibility behind them and still open themselves up for new learning experience. I mean, kudos to that guy, but the new, UTD instructor was very intimidated because he didn't have, he wasn't even a Trimax diver at that time. And I said, listen, just don't care. Just imagine they're all at the same level. Go for it. And the the great thing was I never said anything after that to the instructor and to the, the participant. But the Trimax instructor participant came to the new UTD instructor after this you know, evening of training. And he said, dude, I've been diving for 13 years, I have thousands of dives. You just taught me how to dive. 
you know and this guy he just grew to the to the ceiling you know and it's and it's true and it sounds like a very corny story but it's all true it's kind of why we do this right we have these stories it's yeah and it's kind of why we do it it's the glue that binds it i think all right everybody thanks if you've liked this Leave a rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the word out. We will come back a few podcasts later and do another. We're still looking for a name. Don't forget. Right now, we're called The Most Obscure Questions in Scuba Diving. I like it. So, see, uh, go on. growing get on a, me. Get a, get a better one if you want. Go on. Yeah. Let us know. And send in your questions for these because they're really fun to read and go through and create a program around them. So Definitely. All right. From San Diego and Denmark, thank you, everybody, and we'll see, we'll see you in the water. Inside. Have a nice evening. All right. Cheers. Yes. See you Hell out there. is going Bye. outside. Working down the street.